Well, for those of you that are visiting, one of the things that we do here uh, at Big Valley Grace, uh, we have, uh, it's a big church, you know, big is in our name. We got a gathering here last night, which was incredible. And we're meeting today, we're over in the venue. Next hour, we're gonna meet, we'll be in the venue next hour, and we have this huge online audience. And, and one of the things we do is we try to pick somebody who's a part of our family and capture a little bit of their story on film. We call it our Not Ashamed uh, videos. And um, I want you to look at this week's. Check out the Jumbotrons. I come from a dysfunctional family where drugs and abuse plagued my everyday. I didn't have any strong relationships. I didn't know what it was like to, um, to have deep connections with other people, to open up my heart and my spirit to others. I was constantly... Um, just trying to check out. I was in pain, and I was searching for something to, to numb that pain. At the age of 15, I ended up um, doing heroin, and I chased heroin for many years of my life. I was plagued with confusion and despair. At one point, I was um, in a domestic violence relationship. A few years later, I ended up in jail, went through treatment, I got out and I just kept doing the same thing. I knew that there was a God, but I didn't know how to grasp that. I didn't know what it looked like to be loved unconditionally, for someone to love me right where I was at. Um, I was searching for it and I kept trying to get clean and I would go to treatment. And it wasn't until my second long-term relationship that ended up being abusive my addiction spun out of control, and um, I ended up almost losing my kids. And I went into treatment this time. And this time, someone showed up in my life who loved me right where I was at. And she had Jesus. And I was just baffled at her walk and her story and, and the things that she had endured in her life. And she was giving back. She was living for Christ. She was loving on people. And I was drawn to her. You know, I struggled in early recovery because I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to talk about the pain. I didn't want people to know all the things that I had done. All the things that kept me sick are the things that I need to work through. Because if I have all that stuff inside of me, that's those resentments and that unforgiveness and that anger, I'm disconnected from God. I came to Christ because somebody loved me, even in my sin and my pain and my brokenness. Somebody cared enough to reach out to me and tell me that I was worth it. And I haven't looked back since. And coming up on nine years, wow, it's just been this beautiful journey of getting all that baggage and bringing it out into the light. Like in John 11:44, where Lazarus is standing at the entrance of the tomb and Jesus says, unbind him, let him go. And it makes me think of, you know, get rid of those grave clothes, get rid of everything that's ever happened to me, that I've ever done. Um, I'm now new in Christ. How could I not share what God has done in my life? 
Today I have a full-time position where I get to share my experience, strength, and hope every single day. I get to help others who have been plagued with all the things that I've encountered in my journey. And I get to meet people right where they're at. And there isn't a day that doesn't go by that I don't get to um, plant seeds and share the transformation that's happened in me. I'm not ashamed anymore. Everything that I have been through, he has used to glorify himself. And he does it every single day of my life. My name is Virginia Carney, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. Isn't that a beautiful story? When I got home last night, I've, I've seen it a number of times, and I watched it again. And we all have a story like that. Where God invades our lives cleanses us of our sins and then begins this transformational work in our lives. Well, it, it's been about eight weeks since we've uh, last looked at our study of the book of Romans, so I, I want to give a healthy overview of where we've been so that we have a better understanding of where we're going to be going, especially for those of you that are visiting with us. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. So, so here we go. The, the book of Romans is um, basically divided into five major sections. The first section is all about the big problem that we have as human beings, and, and that's sin. So Paul begins this letter. He writes to the uh, Christians that were in Rome, and he, he's going to lay a foundation. And the very first thing he talks about, after he gives you know, some introductions as to who he is and all that kind of stuff, Chapters one through three are all about the problem that we have, and that is sin. All of us have been impacted by sin. He makes it crystal clear that all of us are sinful, that all of us have disobeyed God, that all of us are ungodly, that all of us are unholy, that all of us are evil to some degree. The, the message that God has for us is that we're evil. Some are just more evil than others, right? I mean, Charlie Manson was, was evil at a different level than, than us. Hitler was at a, a, a different level of evil than us. But Paul makes it crystal clear that all of us are evil. The, the, the message of the Bible isn't that all of us are good and some are just better than others. No, the message of the Bible, the message that God gives to us is that all of us are evil. But some are more evil than others. Romans chapter 3, Paul says this, there is no one righteous. No one. There's no wiggle room there. Nobody is righteous. Not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. Nobody comes out of the womb seeking God. 
All have turned away. They, they've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. That, that's what the word of God says. One of the questions that we wrestle around with as believers is, is, well, how did we end up here then if nobody seeks after God? How are we all here singing songs and doing all the things we're doing? You know, we're doing. It's simply because God began to draw you to himself. It was in God's grace and in God's mercy that he began a work in your life. Paul goes on to say this in Romans 3. This is kind of the crescendo, if you will, of the whole first section. For everyone has sinned. Everyone. That's what it says. Everyone. Everybody in this room, everybody over in the venue, you're watching online, listening on the radio. We've all sinned. We've all thought things that were really crummy. We've all said things that are really crummy. We've all done things that are really crummy. All of us. Now, some people have thought crummier things than others. I get it. Some people have said crummier things than others. I get it. Some people have done crummier things than others. But the Bible says all of us are sinful. Everybody. And because of this, because of sin, we all stand condemned before God. We're all doomed for hell because of our sin. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 3. He said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why he came. The reason why we celebrate Christmas, the reason why we have this uh, Savior born in the little town of Bethlehem wasn't that he would come and bring condemnation, but he came to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You see, Jesus didn't need to come to bring condemnation because we're condemned already. Our sin had condemned us already. He didn't need to come and be born in the little town of Bethlehem to bring condemnation. We were condemned. God sent him to bring salvation from the condemnation. That's why he came. Now, not only did we stand condemned before God because of our sins, but we were absolutely powerless to do anything about it. In other words... We didn't have the ability within ourselves or the power within ourselves to fix the problem of sin. Which is why all throughout the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through the book of Malachi, God promises, I will solve the problem. I will send you a savior. I will send the Messiah to you. I will send the good news. 
I, I have the power to fix the problem of sin, God says, and I will take care of it by sending the Lamb of God, right? We just, we just sang that song. Worthy is the Lamb. You see, God had the power to fix the problem of sin. He promised the Messiah, and 2,000 years ago, the Messiah was born. He had the, the power to fix the problem of sin. He could have wiped us off the planet because of our sin. He, he could have disowned us, but he didn't. And the reason he didn't is, is because he's a God of love. He's a God of compassion, a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of salvation. And because of these things and more, God had a plan to deal with our sins, to cleanse us of our sins. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. Jesus Christ came and he shed his blood that our sins might be forgiven. And if our sins would be forgiven, then we would no longer have the wrath of God hanging over our heads. We would no longer be doomed to hell because our sins will have been forgiven. We call this the, the good news, which is what the second major section of the book of Romans is all about. So Paul begins by talking about sin. The problem we all have, in my humble opinion, if you're going to share uh, with uh, people, you know, uh, about life and about salvation, it always has to begin here. It has to begin with the problem we all face. Then you move into the solution to the problem, which is Jesus. Because why do I need Jesus? Why do I need your Jesus? You guys can go sing and do all that all you want. But why do I need him? What, what, why is there this cross with Jesus hanging on it, shedding his blood? What's the point in all of that? You see, it only makes sense when you understand the first part of Romans. Sin and the consequences that sin has brought to all of us. But the story doesn't end there. You get to the second major section, which is the solution to the problem. And that is the good news, Jesus, the gospel. Romans chapter 3, Paul says this, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been, known, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness, how we're made right before God, comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And so right out of the gate where, where, you know, Paul begins with this great glorious statement. He, he tells us how we can be saved. He gives us the good news. God's plan to save you from your sins has nothing to do with your good works, but has everything to do with faith. Putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. He's it. The gospel is Jesus Christ. He is the good news. God says, if you'll just believe and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, put your faith in that, your sins will be forgiven, 
And you'll be saved from the consequences of sin. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the solution to the problem of sin. Now this brings us to the third major section of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6 through 8, which is all about sanctification. Yes, section 1 is about the problem. Sin. Section 2, part 2, is all about the solution. Jesus. And now you get to section 3. Now that you know Jesus, how should you live? Now that uh, salvation has come, now that your sins have been forgiven, Now what? Interesting that when you give your life to Christ, he just doesn't take you right to heaven, huh? I gave my life to Christ 40-some years ago, and here I still am. The third section is all about sanctification. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, where you're at, look at verse 1. Well, then Paul says, because it's all about Jesus, and all you got to do is put your faith in Jesus, should we just keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? I mean, hey, pastor. If it's all about Jesus and all I got to do is put my, you know, trust in Jesus, man, well, that's a good gig. I'll do that and just, I just keep going and living the way I want to live. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And next week, Lord willing, we're going to look a little bit more closely at those two verses. See, here's the deal. We as believers have a new relationship to sin. The first section, we're all in bondage to sin. We're doomed. We're going to hell because of sin. But God loved us. We were made in his image. And he sends the Messiah, Jesus. And now we have Christ in our lives. And Jesus has unshackled us from sin. And you get to this third section and it's all about this whole idea that we now have a new relationship to sin. We're dead to it. That's, that's what the Bible says. Christian, you are dead to it. That's what it says. And we'll talk a whole lot more about those few words next week. Now, does this mean that we're, you know, we're not going to struggle with sin? 
Is Paul telling us that we're dead to sin? Is he telling us that we're just not going to struggle with it anymore? No. That's not what he's saying. Obviously, we're going to struggle with it. We're going to get to Romans chapter 7, and we're going to see that the great apostle Paul himself struggled with it at times. But that concept that we have died to sin, that truth that we've died to sin is important if we're going to live a sanctified life, a holy life. Got to understand exactly what that means. Now, in the past, I've told you about the three uh, phases of, of Christianity, the three phases of our faith, and you need to understand all three of them, because if you don't understand all three of them, then this, what, what Paul's going to talk about in these next few chapters aren't going to make sense. The first phase is justification. Justification is a one-time act. At the, at the very moment you give your life to Christ, at the very moment God draws you to himself and you understand sin and the consequences of sin in your life and you give your life to Christ, you, you say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. You come into my life. You're the king and I'm but your subject. I, I surrender my life to you. At that very moment, boom, Justification happens. God now sees you just as if you'd never sinned. It's a one-time act. As soon as you invite the Lord into your life, God sees you just as if you'd never sinned. For me, that happened decades ago. 40, you know, 40 years ago when I gave my life to the Lord, for 40 years, God has seen me just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees me. I don't necessarily see myself like that. You may not see me like that. Others may not see me like that. But God sees me just as if I'd never sinned. Justification has taken place. And because of that, the condemnation of God doesn't hang over my head. Hell doesn't hang over my head. God doesn't see my sin, which means when I die, I know where I'm going. He, he doesn't see my sin. It's my sin that messed everything up between me and God. It's my sin that brings the wrath of God into my life. It's, it's my sin that, that dooms me for hell. It's my sin. Well, God doesn't see it anymore. If he doesn't see it anymore, if it's been dealt with because of his son, then I don't have to worry about it. I, I, know, where, I know where I'm going. 
There's this great story about a dad who was, you know, had his four-year-old son strapped in the back seat of his car, you know, and he's driving down the road and he had the windows rolled down and a bee flew into the car and the bee was flying around the four-year-old and the boy's just screaming and going ballistic and the dad looks back and this bee's just flying around and the little boy is just terrified. He's in a panic and dad reaches back and he grabs the bee. And the kid's still screaming and yelling and dad opens his hand and the bee kind of flew around a little bit and the boy's screaming and yelling and dad pulls the car over and he goes, son, 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 relax. Look at my hand. The stinger's right there. That bee can't hurt you anymore. I, I, I got the stinger. You don't have to fear that bee stinging you anymore. I got it right here. And beloved, this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus took the stinger out of death for those who, who believe in him. I don't have to worry about it. I don't worry about it, be straight up with that. I, I, I just don't worry about it. When I go, I go. And when I go, I'm going to be more alive than I've ever been alive, ever, ever. I, I, I can't even put into words how alive I'm going to be. There's no stinger in death for me. People are dying all around me. We're doing funerals all the time here. I'm at the age now where the first page I turn to in the Modesto B is the obituaries. I'm that guy now. <laughs> and a week doesn't go by and I don't go, man, I knew that guy. Man, I knew him. Dude, I went to school with that guy. Hey, you gotta be kidding me. And then I'm thinking, boy, I'm gonna be in there pretty quick. You know, I'm, I don't care. Don't weep for me. And scare me at all. And the reason why I'm not scared is because of justification. Okay? That's the first thing you need to understand as a believer. That's the big $10 theological uh, word, if you will. John said this in... 1 John chapter 5, he says, and this is a testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. His son took the stinger out of death. He who has the, the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God needs to worry about the bee flying around because the stinger's still in it. You see, the gospel is, is pretty simple. Now, there are guys out there that just make it really complicated. The gospel's simple. Because of sin, you're doomed. You're going to die. You're going to spend your eternity apart from God. But if you have the Son, if you know the Son, if you put your faith in the Son, if you trusted in the Son, if you're believing in the Son, you got the life. If you don't have the son, then you don't have the life. This book wasn't written to trick anybody. God knew who was going to be reading it. Guys like me. 
He just kept it pretty simple. Oh, there are some things I get it that are pretty complex. But when it comes to salvation, simple. You have the son, you got the life. You have the son, you've been justified. No more condemnation. If you don't have the son, then you're still under condemnation and you don't have the life. Phase two, and this is the one that most believers struggle with. They don't understand this one. That's sanctification. This is freedom from the the, the power of sin in your life today. Yes, Jesus took the stinger out of death. Yes, justification has happened, and, and I'm going to heaven someday. But here's the deal. We're all still here. Right? Sanctification um, is the process by which we allow the power of God within us to give us victory over the power of sin that we still have to deal with. See, I'm still here. Still got my flesh, the headquarters of sin. Paul says no good dwells in this. This doesn't get to go to heaven. It's going to end up in a pine box, you know, six feet under the ground because it doesn't go to heaven. It's full of sin. It's what I got to deal with all the time. You know what I'm saying? Your flesh is so powerful. Even though you've got the Holy Spirit in you, it's a struggle, isn't it? I don't care how long you walk with God. There is always a battle with the flesh. It just never gets tired. There's never a moment when the flesh says, ah, time out. Go do your Christian life thing. Be like Jesus all you want today. I'll give you a freebie. <laughs> no, it's not how it works. Moment you wake up in the morning, your flesh is raring to go. How do I mess you up? Oh, the stinger's been taken out. But I don't want you to be like Jesus. I don't want your life transformed. I still want you in bondage to sin. And so sanctification, the second phase of our salvation, is something that few Christians understand. And how I know that is, how many Christians just leave live defeated lives? How many Christians just unfruitful lives? How many Christians the flesh just has the better of them and they're just useless for the kingdom's sake, you know? And it's because they don't understand the second phase. This idea that we are to become more and more like Jesus Christ, that we are to live holy now that we have the Holy One in us and the power of the Holy One in us. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's what I want to know. That's what I want to bore down into. 
Because the more you know Christ, the more you understand his power within you, the more you're going to be like his son, God's son. The more victory you will have in your life. Now, I want you to know that perfect sanctification isn't attainable in this life. Proverbs chapter 20 says, who can say I've kept my heart pure and I'm clean and without sin? And the answer is nobody. Nobody can. Nobody's gonna live some sort of perfect life. And as I said, when we get to Romans 7, we're gonna see that even the great apostle Paul struggled with, with, with sin. But because we've died to sin, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that, Christian, you have died to sin because you've died to sin and you're alive in Christ. You have the power to say no to sin. You have the power to say no to your flesh. You have the power to say no, I am not gonna be governed by my sinful nature anymore. But rather, I am gonna allow the Holy Spirit's power in me to, to be the, the governing force that I might live a holy life for God kind of a thing. And as I said, we're gonna, we're gonna talk way more about this next week. So the first phase of your salvation is justification. And I think Christians really understand that. I've been forgiven by God. And we love that, right? Woo, I've been forgiven by God. We also understand the third one, and that is glorification. This is freedom from the presence of sin. We, we get this one too, right? We're all going to heaven when we take our last breath. There's gonna come a moment when we no longer will even be in the presence of sin. We as believers understand justification pretty well. We understand glorification really well. I'm going to heaven someday. It's the life part sanctification, that's what we struggle with. Okay, I gave my life to Christ and someday I'm going to heaven, praise the Lord. It's all this in-between stuff. It's how I interface with my flesh and the devil and the demonic. It's all that. Now, as I said earlier, this third section of the book of Romans is all about the middle section, <laughs> sanctification. And this is where we're at in our study. And all of us are going to be able to identify with this section because Paul talks about the struggles that we have with ourselves. Isn't it weird? <laughs> maybe, maybe this doesn't happen to you. It happens to me. I'm glad there aren't video cameras sometimes in my brain because I'll have these unbelievable struggles just within my own brain. And I, it's just this unbelievable struggle. It's going on in my mind. Paul's gonna talk about those struggles. He's gonna talk about the struggles that we have with sin. Oh, boy, this is, that just could just suck the life out of you. He's going to talk about the struggles that we have with the demonic, Satan. And we're all going to be able to identify with those things. 
But he doesn't just stop there. He's now going to, in this, in this third section of the book of Romans, give us some practical tools on how you can overcome the battle within your own brain or the battle with sin or the battle with the demonic or, or Satan. He's going to give us some really great thoughts as to how we can live a holy, sanctified life while we're waiting to cross the finish line and go to heaven. And that's why this third section of Romans is so important. Here's the deal. There's a difference between positional truth and experiential truth, okay? In other words, just because the Bible tells you something the Bible gives you a truth, doesn't mean that you experience the reality of that truth. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Psalms 103 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those that fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for us. In other words, when you ask God to forgive you, he forgives you. And he's very specific here. He didn't say north to south. He said east to west. And that's important because if he would have said north to south, then we're in trouble. Because if you're at the North Pole and you start heading south, you're, you're going south. But once you hit the South Pole, now you're going north. Then you're going south. In other words, it just keeps coming back around and your sin would just keep coming back around in his brain. He didn't say that. He said east to west. You see, when you start heading east, you're always heading east. There never comes a moment when you start heading west and then east and then west. No, if you're heading east around the globe, you're going east and east and east. You always go east. But if you go north to south, you go north, south, north, south. So God says, look, here's the deal, Christian. When you ask me to forgive you, it's done. As far as the east is from the west, it, it, you, you can't, it never comes back around. It's done. In the New Testament, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Here is a truth. Listen to me. The truth is you're forgiven. Positionally, you are forgiven. That's what the scriptures say. That's what they teach. Done deal. But experientially, you still feel guilt, don't you? Many of you do. Yeah, Rick, I get it. The Bible says it. But I don't experience it. I still feel guilt for my sin. Some of you still feel guilt over a sin you committed back in 62. You know, 20 years ago, I did something horrible. And I've asked God to forgive me 30 times, you know. You still feel guilt over it. Even though the Bible says the truth is you were forgiven. That's positional truth. But there's so many things that though God says it, you just don't experience it. So how do you experience all the neat things that God says about you? I mean, if God says you're free from sin, that you're dead to sin, how do you experience that? 
How do you convert something God says about you into, you know, your practical life so that you can enjoy it, whatever it is? Well, here's it. I'm going to give you a little teaser. Okay? It's going to give you three things, all from Romans 6, just a little teaser. This is the appetizer to where we're going to go. Okay? I'm going to give you three things. Number one, you've got to know what God says. This is where it all begins. In verse 3, don't you know? Verse 6, we know. Verse 9, we know. Verse 16, don't you know? Beloved, in order to become the Christian God wants you to be, there are some things you have to know. There are things that you have to understand. And this is always the beginning point. <laughs> How can you live out something that you don't know? You can't. It all begins with what you know. It begins there. It doesn't end there, but it begins there. That's why our men, you know, they have Bible studies, because we want you to know some things. Our women have Bible studies. Why? Because we've got nothing else to do. No, we want you to know some things. The reason why we gather here today, we, we're, we're, we're learning things. Our youth ministries, our children's ministries, the prime time, you're going in and we're learning things, we're, we're knowing things, things are being taught to us because that's the beginning point. You have to know what God says before you can ever feel it or experience it. Paul says in Romans chapter 15, for everything that was written in the past, he's talking about the Old Testament, obviously, the New Testament hadn't been written, but everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Reason why God had Moses write those first five books, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, was to teach us some things. In other words, that we would know some things. We've got to know things. But Satan loves to keep Christians in the dark as it relates to biblical truth. So that's why, you know, so many Christians live beneath their privileged position. That's why so many people in this room or over in the venue live beneath your privileged position. You, you've been justified. The Holy Spirit indwells you. God sees you as if you'd never sinned. You died to sin. You were in bondage to sin and Christ came and unlocked the handcuffs and too many believers just find him and hook him up. I don't understand. So it begins with knowledge. Number two, the second appetite, 
Our appetizer will give you this. You, you got to believe what God says. Look at verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Some of your Bibles say count, count yourself dead or reckon yourselves dead. Some of your Bibles say believe yourself to be dead. It's not enough to just know what it says. You have to believe what it says. Got to believe it. Oh, I just don't believe God forgave me. Then you'll never experience it. I just, I just can't believe that that sin I did back in 62, that God forgave it. Here's the, if you don't believe what the word of God says, if you don't believe it, you'll never experience it in your life. Never. You gotta get to this point where you go, you know, I do believe that. I love what Warren Worsby said. He said, quote, God does not tell us to crucify ourselves, but rather to believe that we have been crucified and that the old man has been put to death. Crucifixion is one death you cannot inflict on yourself. You must be crucified by another. Reckoning is the step of faith that believes God's word and acts upon it. Boy, isn't that good? Which brings me to the third key, and that is this. You've got to act on what God says. You've got to know what it says. Then you've got to believe it. And now you've got to take some, got to act on it. Look at verse 11. Again, in the same way, he says, count yourself dead to sin. You gotta believe that you're dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not, you see that do not there? That's a very stern do not. Let sin reign in your mortal body so that you, you may obey its evil desires. Do not, once again, that's a very stern do not, offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather Offer yourselves to God as those that have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Here's what he's saying here. Listen, listen. Four times Paul uses the word offer. Offer yourself, offer your body, offer, offer. And here's the thought. Now that you've been justified, now that you're dead to sin and you're alive to him, here, here, here's, the, here's the action step. God, I'm offering my legs to you this morning and I want you to use them for righteousness sake. And this morning you allowed your legs to bring you in here today, right? That's a pretty good thing to do. Pretty good thing to let your legs walk you into this building. You offered him to God, and you said, God, here I am. I'm coming into this building today. Or you could say, God, I don't really care what you do. Then you could let them walk into the glow worm. Or you could let them walk into some bar. You can let the, your legs walk you into some strip club. You can let your legs walk you in somewhere else. You are in control. And you can say, God, I'm, I'm offering my legs to you. I'm offering the parts of my body to you. God, here are my hands. 
I'm offering to you, and aren't you glad that there were people who offered their hands to God today and they were using their hands to play, you know, guitar. Daryl, man, he was offering his hands to God and he was, you know, tickling the ivories here. Others were offering their hands to God back here playing the cello or, or the drums. or they, they said, God, here are my hands. I'm offering them to you. Or you could say, God, I, I don't really care. And you can, I don't know, you can stick a needle in your hand and that can be used to jam a, some crack into your arm. You can do that. Hey, God, here are my eyeballs. I'm offering them to you. You, you get to choose whether you're going to put your eyeballs on, I don't know, this or porn. You, you are the one. You have to take some action. And say, God, I got this body here. No good dwells in it. It's a mess full of sin, but you live in it. And so, God, I don't know why you want this thing, but you do for now. And so I'm going to offer. God, I got this six-ounce beast. Six, six ounces. I'm 215 pounds. This thing weighs six ounces. And there are times, a six-ounce beast. I can say, God, I got six ounces. I'm offering it to you today. May my tongue be used in righteous ways and holy ways and godly ways. I don't want it to be used in a crummy way. The Bible says, don't let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Oh God, I'm offering it to you. I recognize it can be used for something crummy. I can tear down my spouse. I can tear down my kids. I can tear down my employees. I can tear down those that I go to school with. Or I can offer it to you as an instrument of righteousness. You see, there's, a, there's an action step. Yes, you have to know the truth. And yes, you have to believe the truth. But then there comes this moment where you say, okay, I believe it. And now I'm gonna take some action. I'm going to take the action. And when you put those three things together, let me tell you something. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelt. Because your life will tr be transformed. It'll, it'll, your life will change. Some of you, I look at the Hanks over here, Rick, my friend, uh, George. I mean, there's a lot of you in this room. You were here 40 years ago or whatever it was when... I gave my life to Christ. Justification happened. It was this one-time moment. God saw me as if I'd never sinned. You were here. Oh, I was justified. I was going to heaven. Glorification was waiting for me. But you knew me. I was a scoundrel, even as a believer. <laughs> but you've been here over the, all these decades 
And you have watched the sanctification process in my life, haven't you? Just as I've watched the sanctification process in many of your lives. I've watched you just as you've watched me become more and more and more transformed into the image of Jesus. And that doesn't happen just because. No, it happens because I learned. I, I knew some things. I believed them. And then I took action steps in my life. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I, I'm nowhere near, you know, like Jesus. <laughs> you know, no one's ever going to be like him. Even when in the glorification state, we're not, we're not anything like him. But the reason why your life has changed, my life has changed, is simply because we learned the scriptures, we believed them, and then we took action on them. And that's what we're going to look at over these next um, few chapters, Lord, Lord willing. Over in the venue, why don't you stand? Everybody in here stand. And Father, I just want to thank you, God, for today. And man, last night was fantastic. I, I just enjoy gathering with my family. Thank you, God, for these Bibles sitting right up here next to me and use them in the lives of these officers. Lord, may they know they have a church family here that cares about them deeply and loves them. And God, as we begin this journey through this third section of Romans, may it just be a life-altering for all of us, God. Thanks for your goodness in our lives, and I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, Lord bless you, okay? Live for Christ.